Hi everyone! So as you may know already, we will be hosting an online watch party soon. We'll be watching Tall Tales on Tuesday, August 3rd. We'll meet at 8pm Eastern Time and press play together at about 8.15pm. Once the episode is over, we're going to stay around and chat for a little bit, so you're invited to that. Of course. And so this event is free and it won't be recorded. You can register using the link in the episode description, or you can find that link on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. And Drew, just making sure this will be your first time watching Tall Tales, right? I know of the episode only in the sense that I need to see it. And apparently it's very special. So I'm excited. I'm grabbing drinks. I'm grabbing snacks. I encourage everyone to do the same and let's get comfortable And let's get on the road or a sofa. (laughs) We hope to see you there. (laughs) See you there. Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 2, Episode 10, Hunted. Let's get this show on the road. I'm sorry, but I am just so excited. I've been holding back for almost a full week now from asking you the question. What did you think? I was wrong. I made my prediction that it was going to be something a little bit more, I guess, not as heavy as I expected, but literally just like, wait, what? And then that raises so many questions about John that like we'll get to during the episode, but like my hatred for John has grown. Yes. I will also say again, because we obviously get Sterling K. Brown back in this episode, seeing his name pop up in the like credits at the beginning. I was like, like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? Like I was on edge the entire time waiting for him. Are you ready to do your recap? Yes. Three, two, one, go. As we said, we start with a cold open where we have a man by the name of Scott going to therapy, where he admits that he can electrify things by touching them. Clearly he is involved with the yellow eyed demon. Something's going on here. He then gets murdered in a parking lot by a mysterious man. We have no idea who it is Uh, later to find out it's Gordon. Clearly we then jump back to where we left off last episode with the two brothers having their breakfast beers by the weird fence. They're hanging around only to find out that John's secret. They told Dean was, you have to protect Sam. If something goes wrong, you have to be ready to kill him. Mm. Holding on. Have to keep going the recap. Running out of time. Sam decides he has to go off on his own and figure this shit out. So he ditches Dean by hijacking a car. Uh, eventually, Dean, through Ellen, goes to find Sam, which luckily gets him to save him from Gordon, all while Sam is meeting up with Ava, who is also having visions just like he does and actually envisions Dean's death, which ends up being the trap set by Gordon. So he's able to elude him. Uh, and or evade him, sorry, and eventually save Dean after taking out Gordon, only to have Gordon arrested. And then they decide, I guess they have to keep hunting because Dean has to stay with Sam and Sam won't, you know, give up. Time? Oh, wait, no, before time. We then, they go to look for Ava and her husband's, her fiance's murdered and her ring is on the ground and a big mystery. Oh no, Ava. And actually, time. With three seconds on the clock. Whew. What a save. <laughs> Yeah, we got I feel like we got a little lost with the whole like what John had told Dean, right? Because I feel like that's like the meat of this episode. Like there's just so much to talk about there. So why don't we do a really quick long game so we can get to that conversation in story time? 
Okay, fantastic. So most of the stuff in the long game you've already touched upon. So we finally find out what John has said to Dean, and this is going to follow us until season five. We meet Ava. The way you say that makes me feel like we are going to see more of her, and it wasn't just mysterious, like, what happened to her, and, like, oh, she was murdered or some BS. Like, I like her, and I want to see what goes on. Uh, Like you mentioned, Gordon is back, and literally with a vengeance. We are also introduced to, like, Sam and Dean's code word. In this case, it's Funky Town, and eventually, you know, we'll we'll learn a bit more. We've talked about this a couple weeks ago already with their secret codes and whatnot, so that'll be interesting to get into. And then uh, the last thing that I wanted to kind of mention is that Gordon says that Sam will become a monster because it's his destiny. This is, like, foreshadowing to season's four and five, I think, like the idea of destiny. And we've seen this already in a couple of episodes where like it's the tug of war between destiny and free will. And we're this theme is really starting to crystallize and we're starting to see it a lot more now. Just destiny is kind of a really easy catch all like theme or ultimate like thought like question. It is an interesting thing to see how different shows and different media do handle it, especially in contrast to free will, like how much of your free will affects your destiny and vice versa. And I'm always intrigued to see how shows handle it. So I'll be curious to see what Supernatural does with it because it can make for some really good writing. Interestingly enough, like this is something that will follow through to season 15 and until the very end, in my opinion. So yeah, definitely a a big theme in Supernatural. Let's move on to story time now so that we can actually get this out of the way. Out of the way. It's our entire segment. Okay, so I think you're right. We have to start with the secret. Agreed. So how about you actually get us started with, like, telling us how you felt while you were watching and, like, what happened when you found out? I think, for me, the biggest thing was as soon as it was said, it seemed really obvious that's what it was going to be. And not so much, like, again, I kind of look back at last episode of, um... Croatoan with the lens of like, okay, if Dean knew that if something happened, he'd have to kill Sam. That's why a lot of things kind of make sense and he has to really protect him. But then, I don't know, it just sort of just felt like there were a lot of times before this in season two, so post-secret being told, where the protection was there, but he still kind of looked at Sam differently. And I feel maybe that has to do with the fact that he kind of has this like, as he says, screaming in his head, this secret that his brother might be effectively a monster. Yeah, and we don't quite know, like, the details of the mechanics of it yet, right? But, like, we know... We know that, like, it's it's bad enough that John would tell Dean that he would have to kill Sam if it came to it. Okay, so obviously, like, Sam then needs to respond to this somehow. Yeah, I feel like this is, again, one of those famous moments of... Sam is clearly angry, and I think that is totally justified to find out that your father has basically secretly planned behind your back that himself or your brother may have to murder you one day because there's a chance you will just turn evil, apparently, and become a monster. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that would piss me off. I I understand his anger. But I think that he directs his anger at Dean in a way that is not deserved. Not to say that Dean... Like, I understand being mad at Dean for not having told him, but you also know the way John is. You know the way that John controls Dean, even in the afterlife of this case. Can you really blame Dean for not saying something? This feels like one of those secrets where, like, you get told something like, oh, I can't even think of a good example, but just, like, 
you know, that's the kind of thing, like, yeah, you, cool, I have this secret, it's never going to affect this person until it does, and then when it does, I'll make what is needed to be known, known. Like, I feel like there's kind of that, like, that, like, lying through omission kind of thing at that point, but in this case, I don't think it helped Sam in any way learning this. In fact, it put him in more danger, because I guarantee you, had he been with Dean the entire time, all the events with Gordon would have gone very differently, and ultimately they do get out, but I don't think telling him helped. Do you feel like he shouldn't have told him? I still think that he should have told him, maybe even sooner, but I also understand having not told him, and I feel like Sam's reaction of kind of like outrage and ultimately like running off are a response almost in pettiness that he has to go do something about it because he's angry. And had he known sooner, it may have not been as bad. But at the same time, had Dean never told him until it was literally the last possible moment, or had he just never told him, period, I think would have been the better result in either case. This was one of those, either you tell him right away or you never tell him until it's too late. Anything in the middle is going to just cause what happened here, which was almost fatal. All right, so you're talking very narratively now, like in, in terms of like dry outcomes, I guess. Because we've talked a lot in the past season about telling the truth and the importance of truth telling, especially in family and in order to foster trust. The only way to guarantee the trust and connections there is the first of two options, which is having told him sooner, almost immediately, preferably. As much as, you know, because like, ultimately he said, like, oh, I promise, dad, I would never tell you. But here I am telling you because it's a little more relevant now. At that point, you should have just told him sooner saying, hey, listen, dad made me promise never to tell you this, but I need to tell you something. And at the same time, this is another one of those moments where Dean is kind of opening up because he's not just telling the secret. He's also explaining why he hid it, how it made him feel and his emotions. And rather than going, OK, let's talk through this. Sam is just being, girl, look at me, I'm angry Sam. Do you mind if we, like, map this out a bit more together? Sure. If we're looking at the emotional landscape of what's happening, like, Dean starts off with, like, sadness, guilt, and relief also. Like, the just the relief of being able to get something out that was eating you inside, right? And like we've been discussing, Sam reacts with a lot of anger. And that's when Dean also turns to anger. I really liked the exchange, like the moment where the tone changes. When Sam is asking Dean, like, how could you not have told me this? Because really what he's asking is like, how could you, like, how could you hide this from me? How could you, like, you've been lying to me, essentially, is what he's saying. And Dean replies, because it was dad and he begged me not to. To which Sam goes, who cares? Take some responsibility for yourself, Dean. You had no right to keep this from me. And there's just, there's a lot to unpack there. So like, let's, let's get started. <laughs> I understand from this angle why Sam would direct his anger at Dean, because Dean is the one who actively kept it away from him. But I mean, you know the way John operates. Like if you take a step back and you look at this, you know the way John operates, you know the hold he has over your brother Dean. And ultimately it was to protect you. It wasn't like they were hiding something that you needed to know. Does knowing this change anything? I think that Sam is also angry at Dean for that moment of revertigo. I think that he's also angry to see his father 
like have such a hold on Dean still. I think that part of the anger is there too. Because, so he's feeling, if we focus on Sam for just half a second, like he's feeling betrayed by what happened, right? He feels like not only has his father betrayed him by not telling him, but his brother, who is also like his parent parental figure, let's be very clear, has also betrayed him by not telling him what was going on with him because let's be very clear it's not like a secret about like about just the yellow eyed demon this is something that is about sam and like to a certain degree i really do think that that information concerns him in that moment when dean is told by john that he's gonna have to kill sam i think he falls into those old habits of like covering for his dad and in doing that he sort of put john's wishes above sam's and like john's plan before his relationship with sam and when we look back at the past season and a half now sam has been his hunting partner Sam chose Dean over John in Scarecrow, but here, Dean chose John over Sam. And so I think that that's where the betrayal comes from, or that feeling of betrayal comes from. Well, that's a whole other can of worms, because again, like, Dean feels responsible for everything. Dean accepts it because, to a certain degree, I think he knows that Sam is right. In my opinion, like, I think that he knows that there is a certain degree of, like, it's true, I should have told you. Yeah, but I think also we both in this moment, I mean, at least my view is that it's more anger towards John that's being misdirected at Dean. And Dean is going, yeah, you're right, it's my fault, I'm an idiot, I'm I'm the worst. No, like, John had how many years to fucking tell you this? Sorry, language. You're absolutely right. This was not up to, if, if we're really looking back at this, like, this was not up to Dean to tell Sam. Mm-hmm. This should have been John. This 100% should have been John telling Sam this. Like, John should have been much more open with the boys because clearly he knew more. He knew more, and now they are left in a situation where they don't know the information that they need in order to face the yellow-eyed demon. Yeah, 100%. So I absolutely agree with you that, like, Dean is taking on more responsibility than he should, but I do think he should take some of it. With what you've displayed here, I understand more where you're coming from, and I believe you are right, but I think we both need to agree, and I don't think it's going to be a tough, difficult ask. Damn it, John. Oh my gosh, yes. No, no, that's not a difficult ask at all. No, I just needed to be very, very clear that in this situation, the the person who's to be blamed is John. Dean has made mistakes, but ultimately this is a John F-up. Yeah, this is John's mess, and Dean has to deal with it. Again, as we've been discussing this entire season. So we finally had a reveal. We have our tense moment. We clearly have Sam ditching Dean and giving us a very Sam-heavy episode, despite this really great brother bonding moment. You know, like this loops back to what we were discussing in, in, my, in my time of dying about truth-telling and family. And like this was such a big theme in season one where we had a discussion about lying to loved ones to spare their feelings. And I I really do think that Dean was trying to do that. He was trying to take on the secret so that it wouldn't affect Sam. Like, I don't think that Dean hid the secret from Sam because he wanted to be malicious. Like, that's really not how I look at it. And I feel like this moment is the culmination of the last like 31 episodes or something, right? I'm glad that we're finally there because I feel like we've like, this is a milestone in this series. 
it does feel like it. It really feels like we've hit like a turning point, both in the brothers' relationship, especially towards the end of the episode, but also in the storytelling, and that we're now refocusing our efforts on the other psychics and the yellow-eyed demon and where this whole plot is going. All right, are we ready to move on a little bit? I believe you have an interesting point about something Dean said, no? He uses a very, very specific line that is, like, I couldn't ignore it. He says, I wouldn't have to be walking around with this screaming in my head all day. And so, like, obviously there's some foreshadowing to season 14 where Dean literally has something screaming in his head all day. But to me, it's also like a call to his queerness, which he's had to hide and which has been like, you know, he's, I think, has been trying to get out in its own way. Again, the fact that it also links back to John, this is John gave him a secret, which he has to keep from Sam, which is causing him so much pain, literally, as he describes it, screaming in his head, to also think about the way he was raised, where, as we've already discussed in the past, some of his sexual tendencies may have not aligned with John's views for him. And probably resulted in some arguments or some fights and it probably lingers still to this day when he tries to think about being himself or what he really wants there's this negative emotion there that is basically just John. So let's also look back on Dean's behavior this season because we've been criticizing Dean quite heavily right because of the choices he's been making but what is he saying right now? He's basically saying that he's had John in his mind screaming for half a season. And so obviously we see a very repressed Dean because we haven't seen that much about him being bisexual this season, actually. It's been quite quiet on that front. And it doesn't really surprise me knowing that John has been so present in his mind. You know, let's kind of keep on the Dean and Sam train for a bit so they do separate until the very end of the episode, but even at the end when they have that kind of heartfelt like connection moment that's really adorable and they share a good smile and a laugh, but like basically Sam is kind of pulling a John on Dean. Oh my God, what do you mean? Can you explain that to me? I mean, Dean wants out. Dean wants this to end. He is willing to say, let's just walk the heck away from this. Let's stop hunting. And Sam goes, no, I'm going to keep doing this. And if you want to, you know, keep me safe and have my back, you got to keep coming with me. Basically, Sam is forcing Dean to stay a hunter, despite vocally stating he no longer wants to. You know, Dean has finally opened up to Sam and shared something personal. And Sam's response is, (gasps) oh, no, I don't like that, Drew. Take it back, please. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I don't like it when you say these things. Uh... I'm sorry. It's a bad realization. I think it's... I compare it to John because it feels like a Johnism, but I think it is more of a chosen one complex, which they do tend to share. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to do that to you, honey. You know, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's go through the rest of Sam's adventure because Sam has a pretty okay. fun adventure on his own. Well, so first, we actually have an update on the Harvells. Joe is now hunting full time. She doesn't talk to Ellen right now. They're not talking. Also, Ellen tells Sam that she doesn't blame Sam and Dean for Joe hunting, which is actually pretty big considering how angry Ellen was at the boys the last time we saw her. And like she says, and I quote, truth is, it's not your fault. None of it is. And I think that this is so important because what we were criticizing in the last episode where she was in, No Exit, is what she's saying now. So clearly, like we were right when we were saying that this was misdirected anger. 
she's come to that realization and she is now telling Sam. She even admits that she doesn't blame John for what happened, but John never stopped blaming himself, which is very Dean. Dean does that because John's John does it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's intergenerational trauma. Let's be very clear. So we do get introduced to a character who you've made clear is going to come back. And based on the ending of the episode, I kind of hoped would. But we then get Ava, which is very exciting. I was like very like taken aback by that reveal of like, okay, this is clearly one of Sam's visions because like Sam would not just die abruptly. Sam having his own vision. And then this other woman wakes up and I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that that was so well done, actually. I really enjoyed that. Like that was a real like moment of like subverting like the narrative. I really liked it. No, kudos, kudos for that one. And did you notice actually that like when Sam tells Ava about being, about her being a psychic, like she's in complete denial. When I saw this, I sort of remembered our chosen one conversation from Nightmare where like Sam doesn't even question that him and Max have been chosen, quote unquote, for something. And it sort of hit me that when Dean told Sam the secret earlier, Sam didn't question it for a second. He could have been like, no, you're shitting me. No, there's no way. No, that, that doesn't like dad never said that. He just like believed it instantly. And I just find that the contrast between Sam and Ava is really interesting. I also do like the irony of Ava going, I had a psychic vision about you. We're both psychics. Whoa, you're crazy. You, you just, you just drove here to see a complete stranger because you had a psychic nightmare about him. And now he's saying, <laughs> you're right. I believe you. I'm also psychic. And now you're like, oh no, you're crazy. Like, excuse me. Okay, so as much as I find that funny, I can also really relate to it. <laughs> but that's it, is it seems really realistic. Like, the fact that you go, like, I have this crazy idea, and the other person goes, I believe in your crazy idea, and you're like, hey, maybe it is crazy. Shall we talk about Gordon? So I know we've discussed in the past certain things about Gordon, the fact that he is being played by a black actor, and they don't really touch on it well. And in this episode, they kind of use it in a weird way that I really want to get into just to write him as a villain. Like, let's I hate to say let's forget about his his ethnicity and his background and his race. But just Gordon, the character, the idea that he now has the what he feels is a right to revenge because he's doing something good. But also there is this level of he's so malicious in what he does like, yeah, he's doing it for the greater good, but he's clearly abusing the greater good to do harm. I think this is really good, like, development of a character. We see the fact that, yeah, I only hunt the things I need to hunt, but I'm going to have fun doing it. Like, this isn't a, like, this isn't a job. This is, like, passion, and the passion is torture, and the way he can get to do torture is by killing what needs to be killed in his eyes. And I think something that's actually really quite disturbing is also, like, his admiration for John which makes me wonder the kind of because we've we haven't really seen John be a hunter all that much and so it makes me wonder the kind of hunter that John really was when no one was looking for Gordon to be so admirative of him I've definitely thought about John as a hunter and I kind of like when we also think about like the fact that he went on a hunt with Joe's father and that's how he passed away it kind of leads me to believe that he's kind of a reckless hunter or just he puts the goal before the life and happiness of others around him, which we even see in the way he treats Dean that, you know, he puts hunting over his own children. 
with the like ultimate like you know he, you explain it away and the, I'm doing a good thing I'm saving the world but like you're hurting the people around you like that's the thing when the focus is only on the end goal and not on the process to get there this is what you end up with you end up with uh, pain all around and and we're really seeing it right now so if we're if we're getting into the specifics of Gordon so he says that in the game of hunting Sam is fair game. And he's basically calling Sam a monster in this moment. So do you want to talk a little bit about like this whole Dean and Gordon exchange at that moment? I mean, it, especially with the, this past season where Dean has been very heavy trigger finger. He's been very quick to kill without thinking or even going as far as almost killing, uh, accusing the wrong person or, you know, as we saw in Croatone where he nearly killed the presumably innocent uh, mm-hmm. teen, Dwayne, uh, Dwayne, yeah. Dwayne, Dwayne name, yeah. well, uh, who ultimately wasn't, but like we've seen this level of Dean who is very like quick to attack because he's doing what he thinks is right. Yeah, exactly. Again, he was more focusing on the outcome rather than on the process. And again, ending up with pain all around when he was doing that and pain in himself and suffering in himself as well. Let's be very clear about that. So this is in a very good realization moment. We are now having Dean confront a darker version of himself in the sense of here is here is what I could become if I keep on the path I am on. And clearly that is which is kind of the same interaction they had last time where Dean was very like vampire bad kill vampire. I agree to Gordon only to then learn later from Sam that vampire not always bad. Don't always kill vampire. They could be good. This is him again saying there's a gray area and Gordon going, nah. I feel like this is kind of like the, I don't know, the mark of network TV though. Like having to say the same thing multiple times, especially like in that era of TV. I can kind of see that, yeah. So I agree that technically they, in in today's era of like streaming and whatnot, I guess you could have made that point only once and make it very strongly. Whereas here, I guess they chose to do it a couple of times because they had 22 episodes to write, right? <laughs> yeah, and it does, it helps drive the point home because we see it once, we kind of learn from it, and now we're seeing him go further down the rabbit hole of monster bad kill monster to then have it as a reminder And to even turn the table and say, like, the monster is your brother. Yeah, in this case, like, there's definitely a difference. but Because before, the monster was just, like, some woman, some person, some vampire. So there was no, like, emotional connection. But, like, when you start saying, oh, the monster is your brother, like, ooh, that starts to hit home. And then, like, why why are you going to give your brother the benefit of the doubt when you weren't willing to give somebody else the benefit of the doubt? So I think that this kind of confronts Dean with his whole approach to hunting. And again, like we're asking the question, what is a monster? What makes a monster? And I think, and again, like we're not answering this question and we're not going to be able to answer it for quite some time, but this, this is definitely asking us, what do you, the audience define as a monster? Which I think is so important because it really does force you to think. Because I'm sure there's people out there who looked at this episode. And I know they really, really heavily sway in the direction of clearly Sam's a good guy. But there are people who would make the argument that, yeah, Sam 
could be the end of the world, potentially. Or We have no idea. We need to make the right decision for the greater good and not just protect the one person. Okay, hold on. I saw a TikTok not too long ago, and I wish I could remember what it was, but I forget. I watched too many of them. That said, a hero would sacrifice you to save the world, but a villain would sacrifice the world to save you. Oh, that is good. Right? And I'm like, oh. (laughs) And I feel like in that sense, I am certainly a villain because like I don't put like the greater good above like the people that I love in the sense that like I would never sacrifice one person for the uh, quote unquote greater good. And what's also interesting in like this whole like Gordon fixation on John is that he says that like John would have killed Sam. Ooh, no, 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 no. Because you know what? If John truly believed it, John would have done it. So what does John do? John says, I, your turn, Dean, you do the thing I couldn't do. And this is so foretelling, too. It's so, oh my God, I have so many thoughts right now about like something that happens later where it was technically supposed to be John doing something, but then it turns out that it was Dean. And I just... That isn't the Dean Winchester story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... I'm so happy that you saw that because also I fully agree with you. Like, I don't, I don't think that John would have done it at all because if he, if he, he would have, honestly, if he, like you said, he would have shot him when he was a a child, it would have been so much easier, which is such a terrible thing to do. But even John couldn't bring himself to do that. And so there you go. Let's talk about the ending because we've touched upon it already. Because, like, so at the end, like, we see that Dean just wants out of the life, like you said, right? Like, he wants to go to Amsterdam with Sam, like, but Sam goes, come on, man, you're a hunter. It's what you were meant to do. And Dean replies, I don't, I wasn't meant to do anything. I don't believe in that destiny crap. And again, that's so important what we're hearing right now. Again, there's really little to take away from it now other than it's clearly planting the seed of, free will versus destiny. And I know down the line, we are going to touch on that more. You've made it clear. And even from the few bits of later seasons, I recall just from osmosis, I know that becomes very relevant, but I'll be curious to see how much free will they are truly granted whilst their destiny is on the table. That's a really interesting question that the fandom is still debating. Before we move on, I wanted to touch on one last thing, and that was I very early on made a prediction in this episode and am a little surprised I was wrong. I was convinced the final scene would be Ava coming home to find her fiance on the ceiling on fire. For our listeners, I'm trying to keep like such a neutral face right now because obviously (laughs) I know what happens. (laughs) Um, Drew doesn't. So, but if I can tell you this, we will find out more about this by the end of the season okay i can live with that like this will be resolved by the end of the season okay cool this is a seasonal mystery i'm happy it's nice to know yes there you go i gotta i got to look forward to some good conclusions no i don't know if it's good (laughs) oh i guess now i'm ready for critical time (laughs) okay so who did we have for a writer and director this episode 
This episode was written by Ryle Tucker, who wrote Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. She wrote that by herself. And then she also wrote with Sarah Gamble, Dead in the Water, Faith, Nightmare, and Salvation. Ooh, good list. Right? So definitely some interesting stuff in there. The director was Rachel Talalay. This is her only Supernatural episode that she's directed, but she's directed episodes of like Ali McBeal, Terminal City, Whistler, and Kyle XY. Directorially, very impressive episode directory. I have, I have issues. Like there's a lot of things that I'm like, oh, really? Like that way? Okay, that works. Minus one scene, I do really think it was well shot, well put together. Uh, the acting was good. Like, I, I feel like things were well done. Like, I really liked Ava, and I think it's all because of, like, the direction and the acting, so. I don't know. I find that this is not one of the strongest episodes at all, and it could have used a bit more strength, in my opinion. Yeah. If we are talking little things, like, directorially, I really feel like pretty much from the moment they set off the first grenade of, like, Sam coming into the back door, and he's like, wait for the second one. Like, from that moment till the end kind of fell apart for me. Um, and the last thing I'll bring up, just because it's like a pet peeve in movies and film, is the person holding a gun sideways. I know enough about so but like a handgun just because of consuming media. I've never fired a weapon. I don't ever want to have to do that or even like for fun. But like even I know like from friends of friends who have been to shooting ranges, you never hold the gun sideways. That is purely a thing done in movies to make you know, hip characters look more hip. I say with really massive air quotes. So either it was done to make Gordon look more cool and edgy, but it also makes him look stupid. And a man who is clearly written to be such an expert hunter and like marksman would never do that. You know what, Drew? I absolutely agree. And I think that this is like a symptom of a bigger thing that we're seeing in this episode where it's like, that like handling a black character the way that he was handled in this episode is is just wow like um problematic to say the least so this what you're bringing up basically to me kind of makes me feel like they want they whether they wanted to or not they kind of like devalued Gordon's expertise on weapon handling just to get a certain look out of him. A certain look that plays into stereotypes, racial stereotypes. Let's be very realistic here also. To then also have that immediately followed by calling the cops on him and basically like, quote unquote, taking care of him by calling the cops. Whoa, again, like this is something that we have talked a lot about a lot as a society in the past year or so. Calling the cops on black people just to quote unquote, take care of them can lead to murder. It can lead to the person losing their life. Now I understand that this is supernatural and that he was clearly shooting at them and that like, I understand. But a little responsibility here would be nice where you know, either the boys actually, quote unquote, take care of Gordon themselves, but to call the cops on him was just, it's weaponizing whiteness, basically, is what happened. They weaponized their own whiteness, they weaponized his blackness in order to make sure that the cops would take him to jail. Because 
He was shooting at them. He had guns in his hand. The police showed up. Knowing what we know today, I don't think Gordon would be alive if this had been real life. No, 100%. That's why, again, I feel like this is one of those moments of Gordon was written as a character. They took no factors for his race. And as a result, this is what we got. Because I feel like if Gordon were a white man, this is the result we would have seen. And we would not be batting an eye. and be like, oh, we'd be like, oh, Sam, good move. But the fact that it's a black man and there is no thought behind it, there's no consideration for it is why this is such a like travesty, both from the storytelling aspect and from the show running aspect. And like, you could easily say, and, and at that point, like I also, I will gently push back and say, you know what? Like, I'm sorry, but at this point they know that Gordon is a black character. They've already shot bloodlust. They know, they know. So they're doing this knowingly. They're essentially telling the audience like, oh, if you want to quote unquote, take care of a black man, call the police on them, which is just like, honestly, it's, it's unthinkable. It is unthinkable. It's so irresponsible. No, I agree completely. Okay. So to come down from that a little bit, let's try to change pace a little bit. Shall we see what our community has to share with us this week? Yes, let's. This week, we have a TikTok comment from Wayward Winchester Pie. By the way, I'm sorry, but people's usernames on TikTok are so clever. I love it. I see them like scrolling through and I just, some of them make me laugh. Some of them make me smile. And I just, I am amazed at the cleverness of people making TikTok No, we've really hit this like weird generational gap where like Twitter, you went for like, branding and then tiktok you go for like a good laugh and i appreciate it so much so let's read this uh, this lovely tiktok comment from wayward winchester pie i had a random thought today that broke me we all know john is abusive af what if he sent dean to conversion therapy so drew i'm gonna let you tackle that one first <laughs> So I will admit that in my uh, going through our TikTok and just kind of responding to people and reading up on comments, I did spot this one. And it sparked a thought in me that I hate even more. John probably didn't send Dean to conversion therapy. He probably tried to do it himself. No! You know John is the type to try to take things into his own hands, to educate his boy in how to do things right and how to be right and how to get through the world. And if he saw something that he deemed not correct in his son, you don't think he would hand that off to somebody else. He would take it into his own hands and do it his own way, which I could only hope was less than what I've heard about in the forms of torture that have been used for conversion therapy. But also knowing John and the way he deals with monsters and hunting. Um, So thank you, Wayward Winchester Pie, for this uh, comment that also broke the both of us. On that topic, I feel like lately we've gotten a lot of like, because we've talked quite a bit about it, about the abuse that John put the boys through in their childhood. And like, we have gotten so much from our listeners, people who follow us on social media of like, people's own interpretations and their ideas and their headcanons and et cetera. And um, it's really heavy because 
no matter, like, whenever I think, like, okay, like, we've reached a low when it comes to, like, what we think of John as a, as a fandom, um, <laughs> people always manage to, like, bring it even lower, and, like, that's definitely one of those times where I'm, like, oh, man, like, I had never thought about that, like, that's not something that crossed my mind, and then, like, you managed to make it worse, like, so, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm, um, I'm actually kind of happy that we're moving away a little bit from like the abuse that John has put the boys through because like it has been hard to read all those comments. But like the real thing, it should not be ignored. So for anyone who is going to bring it up, we are going to see it and we are going to understand it and we are going to hopefully engage and try to have a conversation or, you know, speak to you where we can. Well, this is also the idea of fiction, right? Like when we're reading fiction, we can, we can basically empathize with whoever we want. We're not hurting anyone, right? By empathizing with John or with Dean or whatever. Where we do have an impact is like where we choose to be vocal with others, I think. And I, I've, I've made the decision to like read this story, like understand the story of Supernatural in community w with the people who are in a situation of oppression. And so kids who have been abused by their parents, like, I will read this story along with you. And so if you think that John has done those things, then I, I am with you and I understand. And that's, I'm, I'm there. Exactly. We are here to support people who need support, people who think they need support, people who feel like they don't know how to ask for help. And if this is a way you're able to identify it and talk about it, then this is why we want to foster a community of listeners and togetherness. Exactly. Shall we head on down to a crossroads? I think so. Mary, would you like to get us started this week? Yes. I'm not even going to touch the whole Gordon debacle because there's just... Like, I'm not even sure where to go to really fix it, apart from, like, treat your black characters like humans and not, like humans. Um, so I'm going to hit on something that's a little bit more specific. So earlier we talked about how Ellen told Sam that, you know, it's not their fault and none of it is their fault. And that's, you know, it was her way of like apologizing to them for what she had said. Now, Dean never hears that, right? No, <laughs> I... I didn't even think about that because I'm like, it's such a wholesome moment. And you make you made the point. Yeah, you're like, Dean never heard that apology or that like sentiment. Yeah. And it made me really sad. Dean never heard it. And he's the one who took most of the flack for it from Joe. And so I wish and, and, and it's really funny because Sam is the one who heard it. And Sam is usually the one to like understand that it's not his fault when something bad happens. Right. And so I wish that Dean could have heard Ellen say that Joe hunting wasn't his fault because this is something that he is going to carry with him for years to come. And he never gets to find out that he doesn't think that Ellen doesn't think it's his fault. I mean, you say this in a way where I feel like, though they speak in this episode, they're obviously going to see each other again and... I, I can only hope at some point off camera that, that this gets relayed to Dean in some way, but still, like, it would have been nice to have seen it. I mean, it does, but it doesn't in time kind of thing. So, 
it's, I, I really do wish that there had been that conversation where Dean could have heard it. You know, he could have heard like, hey, buddy, it's not your fault. And I get it. You're asking for this message. What would you have given up, though? Honestly, I don't think Sam needed to hear it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? Honestly, like, they both I they both call Ellen different times. So, yeah. Exactly. Like, I feel like this could have been said to Dean and not to Sam because Dean is the one who needed to hear it, not Sam. Yeah, good point. It feels like the kind of thing where it was written just as like, make sure the brothers know this thing or make sure it's said so the audience hears it, not considering who actually in the lore hears it. Right, exactly. Like, it feels like this was just like, Ellen needs to say this, but the person who needs to hear it will not hear it. And again, like, I don't know if this was done purposefully or not, but like, it's an issue that I have with the writing of this episode that I just, I'm like, nah, (laughs) like, take it away. Yeah, if I had to put money on it, I would say it's more likely just a, we need this sentiment made across to our audience of listeners, not taking care for who is hearing it in what time. Yeah, exactly. It was more, it was more about the message than about the characters. And I feel, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, I feel like there's this recurring theme of like, moving the story forward with the, with the, with the audience, but never really making sure that the characters get that care. Because there's also, there's another thing there's a character that is beloved by the fandom that um, never gets to hear that he is loved. Ever, ever, ever in this in this story. And like, it's heartbreaking when you think about it. And I, again, I don't know if it was done purposefully or not, but it's there. So you have to read it somehow as intentional. So I purposely omitted this when we spoke about this episode, both in story and critical time, because I wanted to bring it up here. And for me, my crossroads deal is Gordon on top of so many flaws in Gordon, both as a character and being written is the fact that, and I'm going to put this on the writers more than anything else is the comparing Sam to Hitler. And I'm not even going to go so far as to say like, No, we were that. I'm just going to take this very broad and just say there's two things here. One is the you are comparing a fictional character's fictional possible future of possibly being a monster to a man who literally committed genocide. And I understand what they were trying to imply but I don't think it was done well. Your voice is very important on this topic. But one thing that I've learned is that you don't, you don't compare Hitler to anybody because there's no comparison per se. I mean, there are other comparisons because there's other dictators who have committed genocide and that's a pretty fair comparison. I think it can be made and in some cases should be made. But in this case... It is a very different thing altogether, and I think was done in very poor taste. But I also want to go one step further, which is the way it's presented. And I I don't want to say Gordon presents it because it's the writers who present this to the audience more, in my opinion. If you had young Hitler right next to you, wouldn't you just take him out because you know what he's going to become? And I think 
this part both shows how poorly thought out the metaphor is or the the scenario is because I've played this game before. I've been a person on the internet. Someone has made the argument of, well, wouldn't you just kill Hitler if you had the chance? And no, he's a child who can make his own choices and could be changed for the better. Like that's awful thinking. We've had entire movies about this explaining why doing this is wrong. Minority report. Great film. Great point. But I just feel there's such a tactless choice of a comparison to make both the comparison and the question being asked do not do what they are meant to do, though. I think I understand what they were trying to do. It was done poorly. So Crossroads deal is just scrub that from the script. I if you want to even go a step further and say, okay, I'm taking something away. What do I gain? Give him any other comparison, you know, uh, pick anything that they may have fought in the past that Gordon could have known about and say, if you had X, Y, Z monster sitting right next to you and you had a gun to its head and you had a chance to stop it before it did the thing it already did, would you do it? And at least have an in lore conversation about it. Don't bring it to Hitler. One thing that bugs me also, again, is that these words come out of Gordon's mouth. The fact that they again put this on a character who is already so poorly represented, actively poorly representing another people. Yeah, it's again why I say this episode had a lot of potential. Overall, I did like this episode despite this. I think some of Gordon's moments, especially earlier on, were better than towards the end. I really like Sam and Ava. I really want to see where Ava goes. And... I also really like I just to really lighten the mood for half a second. Ash stealing Sam's drink when he leaves. Just mwah, chef's kiss. Gold moment. <laughs> Love my Ash. Yeah, it was it was a heavy one in so many ways. Heavy episode, a good episode, but one of those times where it's a good episode that had so much potential to be a great episode. I agree. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Vigourou, and myself, Drew Shulman. This week, we'd like to thank Wayward Winchester Pie on TikTok for her message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com, and you can follow us and talk to us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. Make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to grow our community. Until next week. Carry on, our wayward friends. Mwah, mwah. Three. Three. Two. Two. One. One. This is Watch Mojo. <laughs> <laughs>